Hey, it's time for another edition of Singles Only Podcast. Paul Farver here, your host. Uh, this week features part two of the soloist episode that I did with uh, Peter McGraw uh, and Riding Shotgun for his podcast was Julie Nervelli. Fun episode. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes with Peter McGraw, you need to. Uh, the soloist movement is making progress. It has a lot of great things to add. Um, let me know your thoughts on it. You can email me, pfarvar at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram and DM me there as well. If you're not following me on Instagram already, please do. I'm trying to get my numbers up there. Got upcoming dates on my website, paullefcomedy.com, including Gilbert, uh, JP's Comedy Club, one of my favorite comedy clubs in Arizona, uh, this weekend, um, May 4th through 6th. Then I'll be back in Chicago at the Laugh Factory, May 13th, and uh, Nashville. <laughs> Sorry. I'm in Bowling Green in Nashville, May 19th and May 20th. If you know anyone in Bowling Green, come check those shows out. Or in Nashville on May 20th and 22nd. And then I'm back in Florida at the Villages, McCurdy's, and Winter Haven, Winter Park, Twisted Root Winter Park. Um, June, I'm in Laugh Camp in Minneapolis, uh, June 2nd and 3rd in St. Paul. Please come to that. I'm headlining those shows. Uh, and uh, check out our sponsors. Thanks for listening. As an aside, I had someone, it's so nice to get messages from listeners. Mm -hmm. And one message that I got recently was the person had pointed out how much I've grown. Interesting. As a result of this podcast. This isn't something that I've learned necessarily. Well, actually I have learned something and that is the power of vulnerability and the power of communication. I am a different person than I was three years ago when I started this. I have different perspectives, like you you were talking about, Julie. I'm much more open-minded. And I prided myself on that before, but really, you know, this has really stretched me Mm -hmm. a lot. And what I've I've learned is that um, anytime that I take a risk and share something that I feel scared about, embarrassed about, regretful about, unsure about, I get rewarded for it. And I get rewarded for it in two ways. One is that's where people respond. I had someone send me a text message. So I did an episode on getting stood up and a woman's like, I'm crying listening to this episode because it touched people, you know, who have felt that pain and never heard anyone else talk about that pain and the problem and, and getting stood up and doing that episode actually helped me formulate a response that was compassionate rather than angry, which is the tendency to do, which is just to be angry and to blame and so on. And rather to, um, to be appreciative of a situation, um, in which you get stood up, which sounds really counterintuitive, uh, in a sense. And the other thing that's, I think, so connected to vulnerability is that I've learned about the importance of communication. And it's, it's such a trite thing to say. You were saying what you were about the escalator. So, you know, this, this idea of the relationship escalator is just, it's mind-blowing because you never get taught it, and yet it's there, right? It has, has these elements to it and so on. And if you, if you don't want to ride the escalator, but you want to have a relationship, You need to understand it because you need to understand how you're going to be different from it. Then you need to be able to articulate how you're going to be different. 
And so I have been practicing, speaking of vulnerability, is uh, what I call relationship design. And that is that I want to co-create a relationship with a romantic interest, actually with anybody in my life, but it's especially the case with romantic interests. That typically what happens is people just default into a script. But if you're not going to follow the script, you need to then talk about how you're not going to follow the script. And so I am having like regular conversations. That's like the beginning of a date where I'm just saying, so how are you feeling? How does, you know, how, how are you feeling about this? You know, is there anything that you want to talk about? Are there any changes to the expectations you have, you know, in the agreement that we've made about this relationship? Which, by the way, is like an aphrodisiac. I was just going to say all the ladies' jaws are dropping right now. Yeah. I mean, highly evolved male behavior. <laughs> it, it took 50 plus years to get there and this podcast to be able to have that that those kinds of conversations. And the only reason why I'm able to have them is because they're so rewarding. Because to, to know that I'm going to say, I might even ask something that's going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a conversation actually with a woman about texting soon. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, listen, I, I can't do this much texting. Mm. You know, I, I'm going to do it nicer than that, but I'm going to say like, this is not how I want to be communicating with you. But you have to know, it doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't want to see you, but it's becoming distracting, you know, in a sense. And it's very complimentary that it's coming in, but like, that's going to be a hard conversation to have, but it's an important one. Well, and I wonder if your goals are different. She's maybe trying to, I'm assuming, but that behavior seems like the type of behavior that's trying to take up more of your time or engage you more or, you know, she wants to be the priority or whatever that I, mm -hmm. just, if, when someone is engaging more frequently and especially if it's sort of, you know, I have a situation that you know about that's like, how's your day? What are you up to? It's like, oh my, just, you know, that is not, that's not bridge building. That's not mm -hmm. like valuable communication. No, I, I think that that's, uh, that's interesting. You're saying that for me, it, you are t are taking a responsible way where you're t you're nipping it at the bud, whereas yeah. I typically just kind of let it sit until I don't notice that I'm not responding uh -huh. to if it's texting or whatever until they say something I'm like, "Hey, that doesn't mean I'm not. I I just don't text this much right now," yeah. and uh, and then it just kind of eventually fizzles to the amount of texting that I'm used to. But you can take. I I don't think I think your way is probably better. I mean, if I do a good job. Yeah. Well, you have to build a bridge. I mean, this comes from the poet. Mm -hmm. If you're going to set a boundary, you build a bridge. Mm -hmm. I like you. I think about you. I'm just, it's nice to hear from it's you. It's nice to hear from you. I like to know that much. you're thinking about me. And you're spelling your and your wrong. Do you tell me? <laughs> Get the right your. Uh, so, no, that mine is similar to yours. And I think it, it came from one of your episodes or your episode on mine where just being honest with what you want in what I've learned from podcasting and from multiple, uh, especially guests who are polyamorous and, and uh, is just being honest on what you want. Ask for what you want. And it's hard with 90% of people because, well, here, here's why I'm, I feel like my category is different because when people listen to the podcast and they hear me talk, they think that I'm, this polyamorous person that like 
is looking to hook up and like and and I don't I don't want that either. Mm-hmm. So I I've had dates where women are like they just think I'm just trying to get laid and I'm like oh no oh no that's that's not why I took you to get food like let's just make a connection first I don't want to mm-hmm. but putting it out there what you want and not having the fear for the retaliation is it's a, it's a hard line to follow and so on for me I always start with what I don't want and uh and it's it's on both both sides of the traditional marriage and polyamory spectrum right I don't want multiple meaningless sex partners and i also don't want a traditional monogamous relationship Mm -hmm. so it's like finding that bridge is hard but being honest and being vulnerable about it has been a blessing and sometimes a curse but yeah i think it goes back to your idea of relationship design and you know texting is a pretty yes you could offend somebody but it's a great sort of more simple place to start a conversation than something much more elevated like how many partners are you going to have and all these really complicated questions it's a good practice topic mm-hmm. i mean polyamory the ethical non-monogamous the the guests that i've had on it they explain it it just seems like a lot of work right because to me it is it's like yeah. okay you have to have so much communication and then there's some there's some things you just i just i kind of like the old don't ask don't tell policy where it's like i don't need to hear about mm-hmm what your date was like i just know when we're together we're having a good time and we're we're having a a, a sincere relationship but like people who are in that camp of polyamory it's like well then you're not you're not being communicative i feel like that's too much yeah so my solution to this is to me the relationship design is an umbrella and so let's suppose if you are communicating and you're asking for what you want and you're using relationship design, you could opt into the relationship escalator, every single element of it. And the two of you are right on board and I'm 100% for it. But if you default into it without talking about it, I'm concerned. If you default into a polyamorous relationship and just follow the normal rules of polyamory. Is that like a pedway then? How does that work? It just What's that? If you're on an escalator, you're going up and you're, there's a destination. <laughs> What's the opposite of that? I'm not being... I don't know. I, okay. yeah. I, I don't Sorry. have a good metaphor for the... It's like a pedway, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's a, I'd say it's a park. You're playing around in a park. Amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> but you could default into the sort of normal polyamory or you could practice relationship design and create your own polyamorous relationship. So for example, it could be complete disclosure and obtaining consent and so on, or it, it could be, you know, at least within an ethical non-monogamous situation, it could be a don't ask, don't tell policy mm-hmm. with some underlying rules about sexual Safe health sex. and right. don't have sex with my friends or my boss or something right, like right. that, right? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so, but my whole point about it is like, you just want to be able to be regularly talking and updating this kind of situation where you're you're sort of constantly opting in. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier, which I, in my mind, was wanting to circle back to of you doing check-ins with, mm-hmm. with people. And only once have I had someone I've been dating say, hey, I just want to check in. How are you? How are you feeling about this? How are things going? And we had a great conversation and it's such a simple thing to do. And as the person asking the question you're just asking an open-ended question. So it's, 
it shouldn't be that scary. I mean, you should be prepared to answer it probably. But I also, as a woman, I feel like that question is better or that topic is better led by the man because when a woman asks a guy, how are you feeling about what's happening? I mean, it's you can just almost see a guy like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, and it's, it's too like, bad. No, dude, I do not want to like, yeah. I'm really do not want to be in a relation yeah. like a serious relation with you. Trust me. I'm just trying to check in. So can I give a quick case study about this that may blow people's mind? Please. I don't know if I've talked about it before on the podcast. I extend this to sexual relationships. Not always, but generally before I have sex with someone, whether it be the first time or the umpteenth time, I will often say, so what are you feeling like today? Is, is there like anything? Waiter? Yeah. Like a restaurant? Almost, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, is there anything in particular you want or don't want? You know, how have you been feeling about, about, about this? And, and it's sort of like obtaining consent before anything gets going. Now, that may sound shocking to do, mm-hmm. but it is, I, I find my partners to be very receptive to it. Really? Yes. And what I often say is, I as a man in particular, don't want to be guessing whether it's okay to do this or not okay to do this and so on. Now we can update in the act if, you know, uh, and, and so on. And then it also allows me at times to say what I also am looking for, what I'm in the mood for too, right? It licenses a, a back and forth. So for example, I'd say, you know, I gotta be honest, I'm like a little bit low energy and it'd be fun to just sort of have kind of like vanilla sex, you know, like old school vanilla sex. Like I would be, that would be really nice for me. If you want the- Lowers the expectations. Yeah, if you want the full event- I can rally. I can rally. I just got to get some coffee and pills. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, like, you know, I can do it, but, you know, and, and, you know, these are partners who like me, you know, and so I'm going to say, oh, no, that's great. That'll be fun, you know, type of thing. Or like, they'll say, you know, last time we did this and that was, I, I like that. Can we try, can we explore that a little bit more? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But the thing about it is, again, Everybody talks about the, how important communication is. No one ever does it. And they do it because it's incredibly threatening. But once you get in the habit of doing it, it creates this sort of flywheel effect where it just improves your connections with people. And by the way, this is not just with regard to romance. This is with regard to friendships also. Like, why not check in uh, with friends about, hey, how are things going? I haven't heard from you in a while. Is that Okay. Yeah, I I mean, the second part of what you said, I agree with. Mm -hmm. I like checking in with people all the time. I'm a big fan of it just to be like, hey, how's everyone? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Just, I always just like to check in on people by text or sometimes I just call someone too. The other part, I think the first time you're with someone intimately, like, yeah, you have, you don't know, you don't know people's signs or like what's good and bad, but I don't think I could be like, hey, I just kind of just do it. I'm just like, I'm going to be low energy today. <laughs> like they know. Well, <laughs> but, so. But that, it seems like a, I mean, on it sounds like a good theory. I'm not saying that I'm a natural at it. Uh, what do you think, Julie? If someone's like, hey. Well, my, okay, well, I'll answer that. I saw this. <laughs> but my, my really good friend, Greg, who was on the STI episode, mm-hmm. he's gay. And he's like, why are straight people so afraid to talk about what they want? He's like, in 
with yeah. gay people we we define who's top and who's bottom and right like away. we have conversations about what are you looking for what do you want what do you like what do you don't like and he said it in a way it builds up this anticipation of ooh, this is going to be great mm-hmm. because we just talked about all these things i want or don't want and he is just like you straight people are just <laughs> i don't get yeah. why you don't talk about this stuff I mean, but like going back to I the love, question, I'm, I'm just enjoying, I can see like Paul's discomfort. I, I don't have discomfort. I think that for me, honestly, I, I just feel like that's like over communication. If someone's like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do to you in like seven to 10 minutes. From now, <laughs> right. we're gonna do I'm saying. just like, it takes away uh, a little of the, I, of the, I know, but you're taking anticipation. This, you're taking this too, too far, right? Like the, the gap between what people normally do and here's the script <laughs> with the time marks. I'm just saying there's miles between those two places. Okay, fine. That makes sense. Like, but I mean like saying something like, okay, well, like what's on the, here's what's on the menu today. I am like, I've been on the road for 10 days. I'm worked up. We're going to have, it's going to be an explosive night. Like that just seems like you're setting expectations. And then what if they're just like, meh, I'm not. I'm kind of tired. Well, that, that's perfect then. Actually, right. that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, but it's also like, I guess, I guess there's some point where it's just like, let's just see what what happens, and then you just kind of go with the flow. That's fair, but that's what most people are trying to do. First time, I think I'm a big yeah. fan of communication and like asking questions. Okay, try I don't... it once and report back. No, no. I, I, by the way, I am not. <laughs> well, let's. I asked you, like, do you think that if somebody, well, how would you handle that if someone's like, hey, you know, this is what's on the, the menu tonight. Well, Here's the nose, and no, I mean, is that is that something you've experienced, Julia? So I woman? have had someone say, "What are you in the mood for tonight?" and and I called Pete and I was like, have you been talking to this person about this? Because <laughs> I just got the question. And they listen um, to the podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know if I've talked about this topic before. Not on the podcast. Not on the you, pod- know you and I have talked about it. Right. And you know him. So I wondered if you had told him uh, that you've chat. been doing this. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it, that was something you were okay with. I was doing some free coaching. Probably. Free coaching on the side. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he asked me in a text and... So I replied a couple things yeah. in the text and it was like, ooh, can't wait to see you later kind of thing. I'll give you an example. By the way, it doesn't have to be happening right on the couch. It could be happening in advance. I'll give you an example of this. I asked a woman like, oh, is there anything you're in the mood for when I'm going to see you? And she like listed three things. But the first thing that she listed was, I want you to greet me at the door with a big kiss. And I was super appreciative of that because what I had realized was the last time I had saw her, I was, I wouldn't say nonchalant, but I was sort of preoccupied when she arrived. And I think she didn't like that. And this, this gave her, rather than her going, you know, when you aren't really present when I arrive, that doesn't make me feel good. I gave her a chance to say what she wanted. And she said, I want a big kiss. And I was like, and it done, done, easy, so easy. Right. And like, I, and not only that, I learned something about, you know, what her sort of expectations are by, by way of doing that. I'll leave out the other naughty bits. (laughs) I dated a guy many years ago and I was trying to have a conversation like this with him. Like, well, what's important to you? And he's like, well, I feel like people should just be able to figure it out. I shouldn't have to tell you something 
that's important to me. You should just know. And, and I was like, how am I supposed to know? Like, give me an example of something that might be really important to you that I wouldn't know. And it was the greeting. He said, when, when I come over, if someone is doing something else and they don't stop what they're doing. And, and I'm like, that is such an easy thing to share. And I'm happy to make sure that I connect with you upon arrival like that. And now I do that with anybody who comes over, I make sure that I stop whatever I'm doing and I give them a connective greeting. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, but he, I had to kind of drag it out of him a little bit, but like you're saying, that's important to her, but it's probably important to most people. It, yeah. And, but, and, and yeah, that's right. And it was a useful thing. I actually appreciate um, your perspective, Paul, because it's, it's forcing me to think through how I would better articulate this in the future. Because I'm working on a relationship design episode, and I think I should. This should be a module within it about designing sexual experiences. I think when you develop an intimacy and comfort with someone, uh, I think that that kind of translates automatically, right? And I mean, obviously, if there's things that someone doesn't like about you and your relationship, like I hate that when I come in, you're still on the phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those are things that can be easily adjust it you know but um the other aspect i think that it's the best part about uh, an intimate relationship is when someone does something that you know you like without you having told them does that make sense yeah I get you're like it. oh yeah this is why i like hanging out with you because you you know you want to order dessert or whatever the thing is i was trying to avoid yeah so my counter is and i would say this like if you know your partner well and you have a, a good routine and understanding of each other, um, then this is this is uh, a practice that's probably not terribly relevant. I can only speak from my own personal experience, and that is that my my sex feels healthier, more fun, more exciting, more exploratory ever since I started doing this. And so the, you know, and, and I, I feel more, I feel like a better lover as a result of doing that. So I would say, you know, whoever's listening. Your Yelp reviews have gone up. I've noticed too. Say again? Um, and your Yelp reviews have gone up <laughs> on, the, on the dating apps. Like, the word of mouth. Great, com great communication. Four stars. So we've been doing this podcast, what, six, seven years now. And the one thing you know about me is that I was a lawyer. It's one of the cardinal things associated with me behind being a comedian, former musician, or failed musician, or uh, Persian, or old. But when I need a lawyer, I call my friend Scott Shapiro, and you should do the same too. 312-648-8800. Scott Shapiro has been representing people for 25 years with workers' comp cases, personal injury, and entertainment law. Scott is a full-service law firm, and in addition to all the injuries that I talked about, work injuries, personal injury, and entertainment law, he handles other matters too. So you can hit him up, 312-648-8800, or check out his website, scottshapirolegal.com, or email him at scott at scottshapirolegal.com. Tell him I sent you. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so Paul, you've done your three. Correct. You can stop talking now. I'm done. <laughs> You're cut off. <laughs> Julie, what is your the third thing that you've learned from hosting a podcast for Proud Singles? This one isn't um, necessarily tied to the singles part of it, but I'd say 
with anything in life, it's better if you're having fun. And we always start off every podcast with remember to have fun. And every time you've asked me to be on a podcast with you, I always say yes, except for that one time you wanted me to read a book. <laughs> I don't have time. At that time, I didn't, there was no way I hadn't, I didn't have time. But these are so fun. And that's a lot of my personality is I just want to have fun and do fun things and interact with fun yeah. people. But just talking about these kinds of things that I don't, I mean, you and I talk about this a lot, but I don't have many other friends that we really like dive in deep to this subject. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's been fun. And like I said at the beginning, like everything in life, it's better if you're having fun. It's so sad that you have to remind yourself of that all the time. That yeah, Are you having fun in whatever you're doing or relationship or anything? It's like, just have fun. And the one thing I always do, because someone did it to me, I was freaking out before a show at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. My first time, one of the first times I was there. And this comedian, well-established, huge comedian now, she saw me and she just goes, have fun. Mm -hmm. Right before I went on stage. And I was like, you're right. That's why I'm doing this. And it changed everything. And now I make sure to say it to everybody who's opening for me. Oh, that's great. And then they'll, I'll always see them walking up. They'll see me walking up to them like, oh, I forgot. He wants me to say something a lot. When I bring him up, I'm like, have fun. And then they're like, it's just, it's like the one thing I tell people very often. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. You know, being an adult can be really hard. And life can be really serious. And we know that it doesn't have to be because when we were children, we had lots of fun, right? You, you know, play was a central part of our life. And I don't subscribe to this idea that work and play are opposites. And this very much feels like work to me. You know, it's a professional endeavor and I want to do it well but I, I want to enjoy myself along the way. I'm starting to teach and I have to remind myself, if I'm having fun, the students are gonna have fun. I'm giving a talk uh, um, next week and it's, to your point, Paul, it's very easy to get into like the weeds, I wanna do a good job, it feels very serious, the stakes are high, there's gonna be 270 people in the room. You know, these are, these are very serious people who have, you know, big businesses, et cetera. And I'm like, but it, but they want to be entertained too. They want to enjoy the session. And so I need to be enjoying it if, if they're going to enjoy it. On that note, I ran a meeting last week and it was a business meeting, but I'm like, we're going to have fun. I mean, we're, it, we're having a meeting, but it's going to be fun. And the feedback I got afterwards about the meeting was incredible. And someone even said, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel mm -hmm. during the meeting. Yeah. I mean, look, that's... As that's comedy. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's something that we have to remind ourselves a lot as comedians uh, that we're supposed to be having fun, but the day-to-day -day is not fun. Like a lot of the stuff isn't fun that we have to do. But the part that I get to do every night is make people laugh, and that's fun. It's supposed to be fun. And so that's what, and even on the podcast, I try to, to do that, although I feel my podcast feels like work sometimes. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, again, it's not, you know, it, look, it ought to be work in the sense that you want to create a good product, you want yeah. to do a good job, and there are other things you could be doing instead. Uh, so, so, Julie, I want to follow up. Um, I mean, I, you know, I've known you for a long time. This is sort of part of your persona, sort of part of your identity. 
you know, you're open to new experiences, you're quick to say yes, you have enthusiasm. It obviously translates um, to your participation here. There's a reason I keep calling you, <laughs> right? You know, because I know I'm going to get a yes and I know that you're going to not just bring So your he pers- calls me when he's desperate. Not at all. You're my first call. <laughs> you're typically my first call. So I think that that, like, this is a good reminder for people to hear. Um, but is there something in particular that, like, someone who's listening, who's, like, kind of, like, sh- nodding their head, like, yeah, you know, life has been a little bit serious for me. How to make something a little more joyous, a little more playful, to have that element of fun in it. One of the very first lessons I learned from you when we first met, so Pete and I were neighbors, next door neighbors, Mm -hmm. and uh, he came over and asked me if I wanted to go watch a basketball game or something, and I said, no, I'm going to Vegas for my unbachelorette party. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Um, Which I I loved that idea. (laughs) But I was getting ready to throw a party, and you said something like, I'm a uh, I'm a behavioral scientist. A behavioral I can help scientist. you throw a better party. I, yeah, <laughs> I can help you throw a better party. So um, one of the things you said is if you tell people it's going to be an awesome, fun party, they come with the expectation that it's going to be an awesome, fun party. And then guess what? It's an awesome, fun party because you told everybody. Unless you set expectations too high. <laughs> I like to set expectations low <laughs> in everything. Oh, that's funny. Then you exceed them. Yes. But this, I just... Um, these new business groups I'm starting, mm-hmm. my tagline, I'm going to swear because I have to, my tagline has become, I just want to do cool shit with cool people. Mm-hmm. And guess what's happening? I'm getting introduced to cool people. Like I'm meeting the most amazing cool people. And the group I ran last week, everyone was like, all the people who were here were freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it's partly setting that expectation. And I think also, yeah, life is hard. I mean, I'm dealing with some health issues with my mom right now that mm, are very difficult. really difficult. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, but I don't have to dwell on that all the time. And having fun is a release. And one quick thing I'll share is when I owned my food business for 10 years, it was such a grind and so stressful. And when I sold it, about six months later, my daughter said to me, mom, you act goofy all the time now. What's wrong with you? Oh, interesting. And that was such an eye-opener to me. Like, you've known me for 10 years being so stressed out Mm -hmm. that her pointing that out to me was kind of like, okay, life is way too short to be so stressed that your kid thinks you're a new person now that you don't have all that stress. Because that's who I am is silly and goofy. And so some people just take things so seriously and it's nice to be light sometimes. This is obviously the case with singles only, and it's something I strive for with solo, is we're here to celebrate single living, right? We're here to make it equal status to married living. I don't want to argue it's better. I just want to say it's just a different path. And it would be very easy to just complain and kvetch and and be angry about the challenges and you know the things that are unfair. I like to say like being single is great if you're doing it well, right? You know, if you're doing it well. And so I want to enjoy my time here because I want this to be celebratory. I want it to be enjoyable. I want it to be fun. I don't want it to be like every time you get through an episode, you just feel worse than when you started it. (laughs) You know, I want people to feel like energized 
and to play and to make, you know, to make their own bold choices, to live their unconventional uh, lives um, and to be accepting of other people's. And it goes along with that too, is a lot of your listeners, you know, they'll remember some of the things you said, but the feedback you get is, I felt so relieved. I felt heard. I felt understood. I felt like I have a community. I felt mm-hmm. like I'm not the only one. The, what you, the feedback you get is how people feel about mm-hmm. what they heard. That's right. Yeah. Those sort of shoulders drop a little bit in this there. All right. Here's my last one. And, um, you know, there's a lot of relationship talk on the, on the podcast and not everybody is uh, pursuing relationships. We have got loners and people are single at heart and, and so on who listen. I'm going to end with one that's more general. It's actually related to the escalator. So the tendency to, to, to judge someone's adulthood, and this has been the case for, for a lot of recent history, is what makes someone an adult? I don't know why that makes me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, you're looking at me <laughs> thinking that I'm an adult. <laughs> you know, I'm 52 years old and I'm like, I still feel like a child at times, you know, this there. But so you could take like a legal definition, which is 18. So on a particular day in your 18th year, you become an adult. Or 13 if you're a Jew. Or 13 if you're Jewish. Yes, right. Um, and the age differs depending on country, culture, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and time in history and so on. Another standard is when you get married. And especially during a time where most people got married, that was their, you know, it's time to put us, put aside childish ways and it's time to be an adult, right? And be you know, responsible, be responsible, make sacrifices, build a family, do all these kinds of things. Well, that's certainly not a fair definition because um, not everybody wants to get married. Not everyone does. Not everyone can, right? as we were talking about earlier here. And so then what becomes a better criterion to decide whether someone's an adult. And so one of my my other guest co-hosts, Iris Schneider, I I just I just adore Iris. She's just so non no nonsense about her single life and and very cheeky about it all. Uh, this came up I think in the waiting episode. So um we were talking about how, you know, you have this kind of like hopeful, hopeless romantics who are just their, their life is on pause until they can find the one, which I think is a sad thing, right? Like the idea that your life is less than until this thing happens and it may not happen and it may not last, I think is, is not healthy. And Iris just simply said is what makes someone an adult is their ability to parent themselves. And it's a very simple standard, but as soon as you hear it, it makes sense. That means you don't need someone else to get along in life. Now you may want to partner with someone, you may want to have that connection, but you don't need that person in order to survive, right? And some of these things are very basic. It's like, can you cook a meal? Can you clean your house, right? Can you hold down a job? Can you stay out of debt? Can you not drink too much? Can you exercise, right? Can you do all the things that you're supposed to do in order to build a healthy, body, mind, soul, bank account, and so on. Moreover, can you soothe yourself when you are feeling anxious or sad, right? Can you you communicate your needs to other people? 
can you do adult things? Can you do the things that what a parent would do for a child, but for yourself? And I think that that's an incredibly powerful idea because it changes the goal, right? Which means that you could be 16 years old and an adult. And it means you could be 46 years old and not an adult. And it means you can be an adult as a single person. And it means you could be a child as a married person. And the idea about this is about, it really fundamentally, it's about risk as I see it, which is that if you can, if you can parent yourself, you're going to be in a much better place to live a remarkable life, as I like to say, to be able to have good, healthy relationships, as well as having a good, healthy body, mind, soul, bank account, et cetera. And it also means that if, if you do connect with someone or someone's else, that person can add value to your life. But if they decide, if they, due to divorce or death or disability, disappear, you can go on, right? You know, you're not devastated because it's, it's not like if Julie went away and left her child on her own, right? That's a bad thing. But when your husband or your wife goes away, that may not be a good thing, but it's not a devastating thing. And then you have an unbachelorette party in they, Vegas. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so I think that idea of being able to parent yourself is sort of essential as a foundation to living a remarkable life. And I, I'm really appreciative of Iris just putting it that matter-of-factly um, because it has uh, really changed my perspective. Makes sense. Yeah. Paul, thank you for your service to the singles community. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks for your service for teaching all of my listeners about soloism. You were the first guest that explained that to people. Oh, that's wonderful. So. Yeah. I hope lots and lots of books and resources get launched. There's a new podcast called uh, Spinsterhood Reimagined, and I appeared on uh, with uh, Lucy, the host, and she and I are actually working on, oh, Julie's going to be very excited about this, she and I are working on an episode on flirting. Oh, we've talked about that I before. I know, it's a, it's a gap that we're going to cover. I think a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, I think that, that this podcast is not for everyone in the same way that I'm not for everyone. And so I think it'd be, it's great that they have there's others. There's multiple Venn diagrams where there's overlaps in all these different societies of, of singleism yes. and whatnot. Joy, thank you. I'll try to give you a break. Thanks for having me. Always enjoyable. Cheers. But I'm still staying.